Good morning. Please find your way. God's precious word, John chapter 8, verse 21. Walking through the text. You know, I've been talking about, you know, the sign of getting old was getting hearing aids. That's not the sign of getting old. The sign of getting old is to forget to put your hearing aids on. Across the line. John chapter 8, verse 21. So I'm going to talk loud today. I'm going to let it go now because I can't hear myself. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are far, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So if you remember, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. Come and follow me. So we must follow Jesus in order to go where he has gone. We must follow Jesus in order to have the light of life. We must follow Jesus to have eternal life with God Almighty. So what have we learned so far in chapter eight? What, what has Jesus taught us about himself? Well, we know that Jesus is from above. We know that Jesus is not from this world. He taught that God is his father. We also learned this truth that where Jesus goes, the ones who do not accept him as the son of God cannot go. And so we asked, where did Jesus go? We know that Jesus returned to the father. In all of the teaching, Jesus was prophesying about his death, burial, and resurrection, and his return to glory he once had. He returned to the Father. Jesus has told the people several times that he's going away. If you remember, he warned them back in chapter 7. He said, for a little while, I am with you. Then I will go to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And he says that again in chapter eight, like we just read. So he says, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So what's the difference between the two chapters? Well, Jesus added this statement in eight. He said, you will die in your sin. Now that statement should scare the bejeebas out of me. I'm not sure what bejeebas is. I don't know if I have it. It may be gone by now. Someone looked that up. I searched all my commentaries, couldn't find it. But anyways, the words, you will die in your sin, should strike fear in the heart of anyone who hears those words. This is the message that is given throughout the Bible. If you reject Christ, then you will die in your sin. By refusing the light of the world, you are condemned to eternal darkness of hell. That's the message of the Bible. We talked last week how this is one of the one unforgivable sin, the sin of denying the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. That is not accepting Christ as your Savior and Lord, not accepting Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, the sent one from the Father, not trusting that Jesus paid the debt for our sins that we could not pay, not trusting that Jesus is the only one who can make peace between sinful man and God the Father. So if you die denying Christ, you will die in your sin. You will be condemned to eternal darkness of hell. That sin of denial is fatal. You see, 
it's fatal because if someone rejects the one who is offering the free gift of salvation, if they do that, they're dead in their trespasses, like I said last week. Dead in their sin, meaning they continue to live in the realm of sin, remaining under its power, a slave to sin, as the word says. I was talking to Thomas, I was talking to Thomas this week, and we had a great discussion how on how the word of God challenges us. Where'd it go? We have a science meeting in Baptist churches. <laughs> Stay in your side. You mess up the old guy. I don't know when they move on me. Don't do that, Thomas. Thomas, he and Thomas were talking this week. It was awesome. We were talking about how the word of God challenges, how it makes you dig in. And he said that he never really thought about the, that one unforgivable sin. Because, you know, we always talk about, you know, if you come to Jesus, all your sins are forgiven. And that, that is the truth. They are all forgiven. So if you come to Jesus, if you put your trust in Jesus, you will never have to worry about that one unforgivable sin. It will be forgiven. You may have to ask for forgiveness for a lot of sins as you walk this earth. But once you put your faith in Jesus, you will never have to worry about that one sin that condemns you to heaven. You won't have to worry about that. And that's what gives us hope. That's where our hope comes from. I like how Tim Keller says it. The claim that Jesus is God also gives us the greatest possible hope. This means that our world is not all there is. There is life and love after death. And that evil and suffering will one day end. And it means not just hope for the world, despite its all, all its unending problems, but hope for you and me, despite all our unending failures. That's hope. That's hope. I love it. That's what, you know, that's what it means when we say in Christ, we have a living hope. Amen. So we don't worry about that one unforgivable sin because we are in Christ. Look at verse 25. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority. But just speak as the father taught, but just speak, but speak just as the father taught. Me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him as he was saying these things, many believed. So Jesus could have said much more and even condemned his hearers, but his purpose in coming was to give the world the message from the one who sent him. Jesus declared to the world what he had heard from the Father. He came to preach truth, truth that came from God the Father. He came to teach what God wanted the people to hear. So our text says that the people did not understand what Jesus was, was saying, referring to the Father. In other words, God was unknown to them. And that's why they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know God. Last week, we saw why the uh, leaders did not accept Jesus or really know the Father. It was because they did not have love for the Father in their hearts. Now, think about this. The Shema was to be recited twice a day. You know, this was God's chosen nation 
at a minimal twice a day, they were supposed to say the Shema. So listen how it starts. Listen to this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Recited time and time and time again. They said it over and over and over again. But Jesus is telling them, you do not love the one and only true God. He said, you do not have that love in your heart. You give lip service. You say it, but that's all it is. There is no love in your heart. There is no love in your soul for God. You know, I, I was studying this. I'm like, this is a great way for us to examine our hearts, right? This isn't just for them. We have to look into our hearts, look deep into our souls and see if we do indeed have love for God. Because it's easy to give lip service. We can all look like we love God. We can go to church. We can carry a Bible. We can even serve at the soup kitchen during the holidays. We can even quote some verses. But the question that each one of us has to answer is this. Deep down inside where it really matters, do we have love for God? Or do we just give lip service? When no one else is looking, when nobody can, when no one can see us, do we have love in our hearts for God? Only you know. Only you and God. Jesus said to them, you do not have love because he is the one that can, knows the heart of man. But it's only you and Jesus can know that. You have to do a self-examination. And I want to make sure that Jesus can't say that about me. Never want to hear that. Verse 28, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. So what is Jesus talking about here? What is going to happen that is so climactic that at that time, the people will know that Jesus is who he said he was? Well, he's talking about his crucifixion. It is there that they will be able to see him for who he really is. Now, Jesus did not mean that they would all be saved at that time. That's not what he's talking about here. What he is saying is at the cross, that is where it will be revealed that Jesus is God's word, the Logos to man. Jesus is prophesying about his death and how, he's, and how it is going to happen. He says, when you lift the Son of Man up on that cross, you will know. Not just because the world turned dark at that moment or that the earth shook at that moment, but most of all, this is how they will know. After his death, they will know by his bodily resurrection from the dead. When they lift him up, when they put him on the cross, Jesus says, you will know that I am. I am he. Who is he? They will know that he is, look, the son of man. Jesus called himself the son of man. Everyone there, especially the Jewish leaders, knew the term son of man. When Jesus claimed that before all of the Jewish leaders to be the son of man, they knew that it was a reference to the prophecy of Daniel 7, 13 through 14. Write that in your margins there. 
But listen to what Daniel says. He says, in my vision at night, I looked, and there was before me one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Daniel saw glory, worship, and an everlasting kingdom given to who? One like the Son of Man. And here is Jesus standing in that temple addressing the Jewish authorities. And he says, when you put me on the cross, you will know that I am. I am that son of man or the son of man. Jesus applied this prophecy to himself. Jesus was proclaiming that day that his kingdom will come and that it will be an everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed. And he will be inaugurated as king through his death and resurrection. That day. They will know. They will know. You know, the author of Hebrews used a, used a reference to the son of man in Psalms to teach us that Jesus is the true son of man who will be the ruler of all things. And when we read Psalms 8, 3 through 9, we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy speaking about the son of man. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have, play, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, that you care for him. You have made him a little lower than heavenly beings. What is that? That's Jesus leaving the glories of heaven, right? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So what happens to the son of man? He is crowned with glory and honor. He is king and his dominion will be forever. Jesus said in the temple that day, I am the son of man. So not only was Jesus, is Jesus the son of God, but he is also the son of man. Jesus was fully God, John 1, 1, right? But he was also fully human, John 1, 14. So Jesus is deserving of both titles. Both titles are extremely important. Jesus referred to himself as the son of man 88 times in the New Testament. 88 times. So everyone was very familiar with the term. Listen to what Stephen saw before he was stoned to death, Acts 7, 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open. And what did he see? And the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen knew who the son of man was. And where was he? Where was the son of man? At the right hand of the father, on the throne, on the throne. So when you read or hear about Jesus being 
the son of man. What does that really mean? I want you to think about this. One of the reasons he has given this title is that Jesus is the supreme example of all that God intended mankind to be. That's why he's deserving of that title. Now, this front row right here, these guys are probably thinking, no, man, I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm like, no, you're not. You may know the man because Jesus is the man, the son of man. He is the supreme example of all that God intended mankind to be. He left the glories of heaven, became a man for us. He walked on this earth just like every other man. But the difference is he is the supreme example of all that God intended mankind to be. So he is the son of man. And because he is, he is the embodiment embodiment of truth and grace, John 1, 14. In him, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, Colossians 2, 9. And it is for that reason that the Son of Man was able to forgive sins, Matthew 9, 6. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, Mark 2, 28. The Son of Man came to save lives, Luke 9, 56. Rise from the dead, Mark 9, and execute judgment, John 5, 27. He is the supreme example of all that God intended mankind to be. Amen. Listen to the final words that Jesus spoke at his trial just before they accused him of blasphemy and condemned him to death. Here's what he said. He said, I say to all of you from now on, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. They all will know who the Son of Man is. So knowing that, look at verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught. That prophecy was fulfilled at the cross. Side note. Even a Roman soldier, a Gentile, who witnessed the events at Golgotha said this, truly this man was the son of God. The suffering and glory came together at the crucifixion. The son of God and the son of man was lifted up and made king. Amen. Verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offsprings of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are an offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do not have and, and you do what you have heard from your father. So as we walk through this again, this is self-examination time. I want us to look at our own hearts, examine our hearts as we walk through this word. The text says Jesus is speaking to the ones who had believed in him. The question is, what is belief? Or yet, what, what is true belief? Because that's the point he's making. He says, if you, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. 
and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In other words, if you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciple. Now, why does Jesus bring this up? Did he want to thin the crowd again? He's done that. You know, by today's standard, if Jesus just wanted to make his numbers look good, he said, oh, hey, we had a thousand believers here today. They said it, so let it be written, so let it be done. Yahoo, or yeehaw, or woohoo, whatever you say there. So we've got a thousand people that profess to believe, but that's not what Jesus is about. God wants true followers. He's not concerned about numbers. His desire was for the people to have more than just some head knowledge about who he is. God wants true believers. Nothing new under the sun from back then. God has not changed. God wants everyone to examine their hearts and make sure they know that they know that they love the Lord God Almighty with all their heart and soul. That's what Jesus is doing here as he teaches this truth. It's very, it is very clear in the teachings of Jesus that he wants the people to examine their hearts. He wants everyone to make sure that no one has a false sense of security when it comes to salvation. We've seen this in the earlier passages. Remember all the people who had what we call fickle faith back in chapter two? There were many who believed in his name when they saw the miraculous signs he was performing. What happened to them? It turned out. They didn't have true faith at all, fickle faith, untrustworthy faith. They did not remain. They did not abide. Listen, that's why when we share the gospel, we don't make all these promises. You know, we make all these promises. Jesus will do this. Jesus will do this. Jesus will do this. If you just believe. You know, I've heard people give the gospel and it sounds like they're playing a country song backwards. You know, if you accept Jesus, you get your truck back, you get your home back. He'll fill that big hole in your heart. Your marriage will be fixed. You'll learn how to two-step. And most of all, your dog will come back home. (laughs) If you just trust in Jesus, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not the true gospel. Because the people who come to Jesus for stuff usually are not loyal. As soon as their dog runs off, they'll be done with Jesus. One commentator put it this way. He said, many people who seek Jesus are seeking personal fulfillment. People who want a better life, people who want answers, people who are tired of their weakness, tired of failing, of falling into temptation, people who are weary of bad habits, who want more out of life, people who want to escape fear, want to feel secure, People who want some hope in their life to come, afraid of death, seeking heaven, desiring spiritual help, wanting to belong to a loving group. For all those reasons, starting to believe in Jesus is easy. A lot of people do that. But when they start in that direction and the world and the flesh and the devil fully empowered by their own fallen nature starts to pull hard against Christ, the half believer. Loving sin because half-believers still love their sin and unwilling to yield to the hard demands of true repentance and humble submission to Christ fall back. They don't abide. They are half-hearted. They come with demands and not a heart of true repentance and submission to God. 
They can't, they come to Jesus wanting Jesus to fix it. Just fix it. Just fix it. And Jesus can do all that. He can. But all of that's just icing on the cake. We come to Jesus because we are sinners in need of a Savior. That's it. We saw this in chapter four and again in chapter six. We'll see it again later in this gospel. There are many, quote, new believers who did not remain followers of Jesus. So Jesus says, true followers abide or remain in me. He brings us up again in chapter 15, as we'll see. But when we abide in Christ, that means that we place ourselves in him and stay there. We continue there. We draw life from his words. We seek to be more Christ-like. We desire to know him and live like him. We want to be imitators of the son of man. Because he is the supreme example of all that God intended for us to be. We need to look, we need to let that sink deep into our souls. If Jesus is a supreme example of all that God intended mankind to be, then we should abide in him. We should drink of that living water every day. We should eat of that, of the bread of life every day. We should walk in the light of life every day. We should follow Jesus and his teaching every minute of every day. That's why that's what Jesus is teaching us. If you abide in my word, you are my true disciple. Abiding is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing process which produces ongoing discipleship. Pastor Jared likes to use the word loyalty when it comes to following Jesus. Abiding in his word, loyalty, ongoing process. I like that. I like that. Some like to say that perseverance is a mark of true faith, the mark of a real disciple. Okay with that. So a genuine believer remains in Jesus, the word, the logos. A genuine believer remains in his teaching. A genuine person obeys the truth, seeks to understand the truth. A true believer finds the word and what the word teaches more precious than anything on this earth. It's precious, precious to hold, precious to have. Is it easy? No, no, it'd be nice. Jesus says, if you abide in me, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. Jesus continually asked people who follow to follow him, but he asked them, he said, count the cost. Count the cost. This ain't easy. Jesus never gave a seeker-friendly sermon. He always challenged the people. He always did. Is it just head knowledge? Are you here for the benefits? Is it just for the show? Examine your heart. What kind of faith do you have? Do you abide in my word? In the word, listen to verse 47. Whoever is of God hears what? What do they hear? The words of God. If you are, it, whoever is of God hears the words of God. 
What does Jesus just say here in verse 31? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Jesus always takes it back to the word, the word of God, the words Jesus taught, the scriptures. Think about all those people who believed back then. They did not abide in the word, but they believed a lot of stuff. They believed that Jesus could be the prophet. Some believe that he could be the Messiah. Nicodemus said he was sent from God because no man can do what he does. They believed he was a teacher like no one else. All of them believed he was a miracle worker. They believed all of this about Jesus. And yet Jesus said to them, your father is the devil. They believe all of that, and yet, not too far off, they lifted up the Son of Man and were screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Head knowledge is not saving faith. It is not. The demons believe and tremble, James 2 says. You don't get to pick and choose what words you want to believe. You have to believe in the true word, the logos of God. Look again at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in me, in my, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offsprings of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Again, we see the ones who were full of unbelief missed it again. I'm going to hit this. I'm going to hit on this next week, but they miss it again. They miss it again because they are full of unbelief. So let's just take a moment and look at the truth will set you free. You know, this is a, this is a fairly popular verse. We hear a lot of people quote that all the time. Believers and unbelievers. Truth will set you free, Lord. There are many who do not, under, who do not understand what Jesus was saying. Just like back then, even today, people are, are looking for the wrong kind of freedom. But I have one question for the ones who throw this verse around all the time. Don't answer. Does the truth always set you free? Let's say you committed murder. And the truth came out. You will not be free. You will be in prison. So the truth doesn't set you free. That's not free right there. Now, the soul may be free from guilt when the truth is told. Yes. But the fact of the matter is truth does not always give someone freedom. So we have to ask the question that Pilate asked Jesus. Listen to what he said. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world. To bear witness to truth, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Now, he wasn't, didn't have the right heart about it. He really didn't want to know. But what is truth? So we go to the scriptures and it tells us, John 1, 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
We all know that Jesus, what Jesus said in chapter 14, 6, these infamous, infamous words. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is truth incarnate. Truth was standing right, right in front of Pilate. But the problem is he could not handle the truth. The word that is scripture is the revelation of divine truth. And that's why true believers abide in the word. They abide in the truth. It is in the word that not only do we see Jesus is the truth incarnate, but it is that it is there also that we see that the Holy Spirit teaches the truth to true believers. Jesus prayed for true believers in John 17. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So it's not just some true statement that sets everyone free. That's not the truth that Jesus is talking about. It is the truth incarnate that releases everyone who believes. Jesus, the truth, sets his people free from bondage. That's what we're talking about. The reality of believing in Jesus, obeying his word, and knowing the truth brings spiritual freedom. That's the one thing that we are set free from. The truth sets us free from sin, freedom from being a slave to sin. Romans 6, 17 says this, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Now we're set free. There is only one truth that is able to give us the freedom that we really need. It's not worldly freedom we need. We need to be set free from the bondage of sin. You know, I always think about, when I think about truth and freedom, I always think about Paul being in prison. Not free by worldly standards. Chained to a wall of a dark, wet, nasty prison. There he is, cold, hungry, body aching. And what is he doing? He's singing to Jesus. He's worshiping Jesus. He's sharing the gospel to other prisoners. Even though he was in prison, he was free because the truth had set him free. So the question is, are you free? Are you? Only you know. Only you know. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Can you look deep into your heart, deep into your soul and say, yes, I am free indeed. Yes, I abide in Christ. I abide in the word of God. Deep down, I want to be like Christ. I want to be like the son of man. Can you do that? When we obey his word, we grow in spiritual knowledge. And as we grow in spiritual knowledge, we grow in freedom from sin. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have loved my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, abide in him. Abide. Abide. 
want you to turn over to chapter 17. We're going to close by reading the prayer that Jesus prayed just before they lifted the Son of Man up on the cross. And I want you to look and listen intently to these words. We will see the words that we've seen in chapter 8, and we will know just how much our Savior loved us. We will know just the heart of Jesus. And I read this prayer, it always gives me comfort and power to continue to run the good race. It always gives me hope. And it makes me know, it gives me the, the, the assurance that I can abide in him and his word. So Jesus prays. When Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I, no longer, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While, it was, while I was with them, I kept them in, I kept them in your name. Which you, which, you, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I did not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. And that all that may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them and they may be one, even one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, 
and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Is that not incredible? You see how much God loves us? So I have to ask, can you look deep into your heart? Can you look deep into your soul and say, yes, I love the Lord God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. I abide in his love. I abide in the truth. I am, I am indeed a true follower. Can you say that? Can you say that? Pastor Randall. 